All right, good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody today, and um, I am so happy to be here uh, worshiping with you. Um, again, if you are here for the first time, it's our uh, privilege to get to know you, get to meet you. And for all of those who are family, um, we love you. So it is good to uh, see you today. So, guys, let me, um, <clears throat> let me uh, start by uh, saying this, that, um, again, um, the mission trip, it is not too late to go on that. Um, part of who will be helping in uh, Paris is one of our sister churches. Um, he has been here um, a couple of times before. Um, he's one of our church planters um, who actually, we went to school together <laughs> back in uh, Chapel Hill back in the day. One of my best friends in all the world. Um, he was a church planter many years ago, um, <clears throat> helping our church plant in Paris. And um, not only are we going to be doing outreach in Luxembourg, but we'll be helping our church plant there in Paris, which is so desperately need, in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you have not made your summer plans yet, don't think that it is too late for you. So um, with that in mind, I want to um, also say that it is, um, it's exciting. <clears throat> I'm loving um, to getting into this series um, that we're doing right now, which is the Exodus Chronicles, um, particularly because of the fact that, um, again, the whole word of God speaks to our life today, and that all of the um, uh, scripture, meaning Old Testament and New Testament, ultimately speak about our Savior, Jesus Christ, right? They're all either either speaking directly about him in the New Testament, or it's foreshadowing not only his person, but his work, life, and ministry in the Old Testament. And so what we've been doing in this series called the Exodus Chronicles is we've been going through uh, the Exodus story that you might be familiar with, you might have at least heard about, um, but we're talking about it in terms of the fact of how it represents our life in Jesus Christ and what lessons we can learn as the Israelites were coming out of their slavery and their bondage to the Egyptians in um, Old Testament, um, <clears throat> the Old Testament period into the promised land of modern day Israel. And so uh, last week we talked about the fact that God not only sees, but he hears and then he acts when he hears. Um, today we're going to actually talk a little bit about something that I think every person, every person, no matter how long you've been walking with God, needs to embrace. Everyone needs to embrace this one chapter, <laughs> this one chapter in Exodus that I think if we could get the lesson in this chapter, then it will keep us from being short-circuited. It'll keep us from being derailed. It'll keep us from being discouraged. It'll keep us from our forward progress in God as we continue to walk with Jesus into his life and purposes. And so we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 5 today, but our focus is going to be this, that as you follow Jesus into his abundant and eternal life, remember that things can get harder before they get better. But in Jesus, you will be the victor. How many people know that that's true? And how many people have experienced that? A lot of times people are looking for a quick fix in their personal life, in their relationships, in their victory over sin, in their ability to live a life of faith, in their ability to obey God in all of his commandments as he's laying them out before us. And a lot of times we think that it should just be an easy path. But the truth of the matter is, according to Scripture and as we've seen in our own lives, things many times can get harder before they get better. But ultimately, in Jesus, we have the victory. So we're going to talk about it in those three parts today, that things can get harder, number two, before they get better, yet Christ is the victor. So let's pray. 
Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us, that we might know you, and that we might have the encouragement and faith to walk with you all of our days. God, we're asking that this, this truth, this teaching would go deep down into our spirits, would go deep down into our understanding of not only who you are, but how we are to walk with you, that we might properly interpret our times and that we might respond to them by your word and by faith in all our ways, all our days, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you have a Bible today, open with me to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 14. And again, this is the point in the Exodus story where Moses had already been appointed by God to go down to Egypt and to proclaim to Pharaoh that he needed to let God's people go so that they might come and worship him out in the wilderness, right? So God had already declared, Moses, I'm going to set you apart to actually be a deliverer, to announce even to the powers that be in the day that they, he, they need to let the people go, that they might, in fact, be worshipers of God. And ultimately, that's what all of our Christian ministry is about, right? That we're ultimately pre-proclaiming the truths of God that people might have their eyes open and become worshipers of God. Right? And so in the same way, this is what Moses was preaching and foreshadowing, but he started not by going to Pharaoh, but actually going to the people of Israel and saying, God has heard your cry, he's seen your pain, he's seen your suffering, and he's come in response to that. And it said that afterward, in verse 1, Moses and Aaron went, to, went and said to Pharaoh, so this is after they, they already spoke to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I, do not, <clears throat> I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. <clears throat> it went on to say, But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? And again, remember, they were in slavery at this time in Egypt. Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. As in the past, let them go out and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they, may not, <clears throat> that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, you might have had a word from God, but Pharaoh has a response. I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw, the taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making 
bricks today and yesterday as in the past. So what we see is that ultimately God has a deliverance for the people of Israel. He has freedom as the promise for the people of Israel. But how many people know that it is not an easy thing to give up an entire slave labor force of several hundred thousand people there in Egypt to do something different? And Pharaoh was thinking to himself, wait a minute, you're telling me you're coming in the name of God, but who is God that I should listen to him? I don't know him. And matter of fact, I've had a good thing going these 400 years. I've got a good thing going these 400 years, and I'm not about to change just because you had a change of heart, Moses. Just because you had a change of heart and now are coming to me saying that there's a God who's concerned about these people who you're identifying with. You may have provided encouragement to them. You might have even spoken a truth to them, but that doesn't mean that I'm inclined to let them go. And what you need to understand is that though God has a word of freedom for you in Christ Jesus, freedom from sin, freedom from bondage, freedom from all the things that hold the world as we know it bound, it does not mean that the enemy of your soul is inclined to let you go. It does not mean that he's all of a sudden clapping, saying, you know what? That, in matter of fact, that's better. Matter of fact, I don't, I don't really need all the people that I've had living in sexual morality. I don't need all the people I've had living in addictions. I don't need all the people that I've had living in drunkenness. I don't need all the people that I've had living in false religion and all types of idolatry. You know what? I'm, in, I'm inclined to say that if this person wants to go, they can go free. How many people know that that's actually not how the enemy of your soul responds when God speaks a good word to you? What you need to understand is that God's word of deliverance comes to you, and it's a truth, and it's a word that's going to set you free if you choose by faith to believe him, repent of your sin, and go in the direction that he has for you. That actual power has worked on your behalf to set you free and bring you into the deliverance he has for you. But what you've got to know in this truth, you've got to adopt in your soul and your spirit, is that there is going to be a fight for you to come all the way out. It is not that Jesus has not completed his work at the cross. When Jesus died at the cross, he said, it is finished. Everything that I need to do to reconcile lost humanity to myself has been accomplished through my sinless life, my sacrificial death, and ultimately my resurrection from the dead. But for them to come into the realities of what I've called them to be and do, it's going to be a fight of faith. And there's going to be resistance that immediately comes whenever you're trying to come into that life of promise that God has for you. And unless you're willing to embrace it, will oftentimes fall short. The truth is, is that things can get harder. When we follow Jesus into his life of promise, things can seem to get harder before they get better. Have no doubt about it. When God has called you to himself in Christ and for his kingdom purposes, the resistance to your forward progress in Jesus will begin. How many people remember when you actually came to Jesus? It doesn't matter when, but you remember that point. It might have been even over a period of time that you came to Jesus. And you remember, it was almost like, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. Right? You were like, uh, it's like, I can see all obstacles in my way. Why did I even do that before, Right? But then you are living in this short period of grace, and then afterward, challenges came. It was like, wait a minute. I was living free for a moment, and then after that, it seemed like all hell broke loose. 
Anybody remember that? Whether it be in your relationships or it be something at work, something in your finances or something about even your mental state, how you wake up in the morning each day. The reason why is because this is a biblical principle. When God is bringing you out, the resistance will begin. When God is bringing you into the promise, the resistance will begin. And there is an intentional, Ephesians 6, we'll read it later, resistance in the spiritual realm to dissuade and discourage the worship of God in your life. You've got to understand that. The enemy, the demons of hell, Satan himself is not clapping for you and cheering you on to come into the promises of God on your life. But what you need to understand is that battle is a barometer and not a compass. Battle is a barometer and not a compass in your life. And many of you are like, I don't know what a barometer is. <laughs> I understand. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to put a picture on the screen. A barometer can look like that. Now, if you look at it to the naked eye, what did you immediately think? If I hadn't said barometer, I already gave you the answer. But if I hadn't said barometer, what does that look like to you? A compass, right? It looks like a compass, right? That's right. Some of you are like, well, Roland, you're wrong. And then, well, no, I'm not. Rain, change, fair, very dry. That's a barometer. But to the naked eye, it looks like a compass, right? And that's exactly what resistance can look like to the naked eye. It can look to the naked eye similar, but they're not the same. What is a barometer? Let me define it for you. It is an instrument measuring atmospheric pressure used especially in forecasting the weather and determining altitude. That is what a barometer is actually used for. We know what a compass is for. It's there to set direction for us, right? But a barometer, on the other hand, looks similar but is different, different in its purpose, different in its use, and it's there to measure atmospheric per, um, pressure and also determine the weather that's coming. And the truth of the matter is, is that the closer you get to God, altitude, and his purposes, the greater the pressure can become. But the closer you are to his strong hand being revealed in your life. You see, God's allowing pressure, but that doesn't mean that if you're experiencing pressure, that all of a sudden you need to determine your direction by that pressure. A lot of times people begin to think to themselves, if the pressure is getting too much for me, it means I need to change direction. That's what the Israelites were experiencing. God's had this word of deliverance for me, but as soon as he spoke this word to me and we were clapping for Moses, yeah, Moses, go tell Pharaoh what's up. Tell him God said to let my people go. Yeah, Moses, you go do your thing. We'll be right here waiting for you. But as soon as he told them, there was a response from Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Matter of fact, I'm not going to not only let them go, but I'm going to make things harder for them. Did you catch that in chapter five? He said, now, because they're lazy, wanting to go worship this God in the wilderness, want a crutch in their life, I'm going to make things harder for them. And in fact, the same number of bricks that they used to give me in their slavery to me, I want that same number of bricks, but I'm not going to give them straw to make them. You need, brick, you need straw to make bricks, okay? The point is, he said, I want the same number of bricks, 
I'm not giving you the straw. And if you don't give me what I'm looking for, I'm going to beat you. Has anybody ever felt like those were your circumstances in life? You started trying to serve God, trying to do the right thing. And as soon as you were trying to finally do the right thing, you were like, hell broke loose. Whenever you were trying to just go the way of the world, things were pretty easy. It didn't mean that you had good consequences. You had the consequences of sin, which was death in your life. But it seemed easier. You didn't have the same type of resistance. Your friends were like, yeah, man. Yeah, let's go party. Well, I don't know what I did like that. Don't matter, man, I do. It's pretty funny. <laughs> you know? You were like, but I don't know what the result of that was. Don't matter, bro. Let's do it again tonight. You were looking at certain things that were putting a wedge in your marriage. You were doing certain things, right, that were actually causing grief in your life. But you were like, listen, but I don't have much resistance in going that way. But as soon as you chose to obey God and say, by faith, I'm going to go the way that he's calling me to go, all of a sudden it got hard. And you began to think to yourself, well, maybe I'm going in the wrong direction. Maybe I'm not doing the thing that God called me to do because things are so hard right now. And you began to interpret your circumstances as if the circumstances were a barometer, or a compass rather, rather than a barometer. And what you need to understand from this scripture is, is that when things get harder, it's actually a piece of good news that you might not, in fact, be going in the right direction, not the wrong one. That you're going in the right direction with God and not the wrong direction with him. Just because things get harder doesn't mean that God has forgotten you. Just because things get harder doesn't mean that you're not doing what the Lord has called you to do. And what we need to embrace from this scripture is that ease does not equate to the will of God. You hear that, people of God? Ease does not equate to the will of God in your life. Just because things get harder doesn't mean that God's not planning to help you. And you must stick to what he told you in moments of lucidity to complete what he has said to do in moments of challenge. You must stick to what he's told you in moments of lucidity when things weren't as difficult to complete what he's told you to do in moments of challenge. Because things can get harder before they get better. Things start to get better, though, when we remember that the person, the person and promises of God. Exodus 5, let's, let's skip down to verse 15. It said, The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron and who were waiting for them, and as they came out from Pharaoh, they said to him, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Right? So Moses even gets discouraged. He's like, they're saying it's hard. They're turning on us, God. I just said what you said to do. I just told them what you told me to tell them. Now they're turning on me. God, why are you bringing this evil on this people? 
Oh Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. The truth of the matter is that you don't need to be surprised when God is moving and making forward progress in your life that work becomes more demanding. Your work life becomes more demanding. Has anyone ever experienced that before? Your work life becomes more demanding. That family situations arise, and it seems that you cannot complete school assignments while serving God. Come on, we're making it practical for everybody in here, right? God's calling you, hey, listen, follow and obey me, do these things. And you're like, well, I can't do that and serve God. I've got to make a choice. Why? Because when you're making forward progress, things get harder, not easier. And the deception of the enemy is you've got to choose whether you're going to serve God or you're going to be able to succeed at these things. Because ultimately, the people who are preaching to you, they may have the worship of God in mind, but ultimately, ultimately, they don't understand how many bricks are actually required for that quota. They don't understand what it is that God's requiring of you. They don't, they're not compatible. And really, ultimately, I'm going to worship God at some point, but it's going to be in a different season of life. Anybody ever said something like that before? When things mellow out, when I get things under control, when I get the uh, freedom, the space, the margin. I like that word, margin. When I get the margin in my life to actually include God in that which I'm doing. And God's like, I'm not looking for, to be included in your life. I'm looking to be Lord. I'm not looking to be a part of your life. I'm looking to be the head of your life. The one who determines what you do, when you do it, how you do it, and with whom you do it. That is the lordship of Christ. And anything less is a deception because you begin turning on the very people who are trying to call you out into the freedom that God has for you because you think there are too many burdens to actually live in the freedom that God has for me. Because I've got to go through something to get to the freedom that God has for me. I'm going to not only turn on those who are speaking to me about the things of God, but I'm going to blame God himself for the issues. God, why is it that it's so hard right now? Ever since you started speaking to me about this deliverance, this freedom, things have gotten harder. All hell has broken loose, and you haven't shown up yet. Anybody ever said something like that in their heart of hearts before? Listen, man, you're in good company. I'm in good company. Things get harder before they get better, but Christ is the victor. But we're pointing this out because if you do not recognize this cycle, it will never end in your life. If you don't recognize this cycle, that God is coming and saying, come out of your sin, come into your destiny, come into the purposes of God for your life, and then things break out, and every time things break out, you take a step back pointing fingers at the very people who are telling you to come out, that cycle will not end in your life. But instead, you'll keep going back to the slavery 
that you've always been in and find yourself stuck there, say, at least it's not as hard as it was when I tried to serve God by faith. There are two options, right? You get that? There are two options here. And God says, come out. Jesus' response was this. Listen, if you don't recognize the cycle of never end, but Christ had an antidote. Matthew 6, verse 31 through 34, he says, therefore, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Why? Because there are going to be plenty of things to be anxious about. Don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first. Everybody say first. See, there's no, there's no other antidote. First. First. God gets first. God gets best. God gets the first fruits over and over again, Old to New Testament. God says, hey, listen, come out, worship me, and that means I get the first. You see that? Worship means God gets the first and the best. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So does God know your needs? Does God care about your needs? Does God want to actually bless that which you put your hands to? If you're obedient. Yes, yeah, right, that one's a caveat. Okay, but if you're obedient, right? But God wants to bless his children. But he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness for all these things, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And we have the tendency to either overestimate or underestimate the importance of others' involvement in our lives for the work of God to be accomplished. We either say that someone other than Jesus is my Messiah, right, my Savior, or we underestimate their help in our lives when we get off track. But Exodus 4, 30 through 31, it said, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. They bowed their heads and worshipped. So how much more does Jesus mercifully use others in our lives in the wake of his direction when our eyes or ears are closed voluntarily or involuntarily? The question is, is that who are we trying to point fingers at and blame that are actually trying to be helpful in bringing us out? Is it a community group leader? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Is it the person sitting right next to you saying, hey, listen, come out, remember God's promises, and he'll actually deliver you? Have you been that to someone else in their life? And they've rejected you. Let me tell you, don't be discouraged. This is the pattern of the Lord. When things get tough, before they get better, people will often want to blame shift. But you stick in there. You keep talking. You keep preaching. You keep praying. You keep encouraging. Because as they hear the word of the Lord, they can be encouraged once again that it's not over for them. Because ultimately... What we see is that Christ is the victor, but there are do's and don'ts of the battle. Number one, do not be discouraged. Number two, do not blame shift. And number three, do not forget God's promises. Because when we do, Christ is the victor, and Jesus is a champion that ushers us into his ultimate victory by his resurrection from the dead. See, it was all, it was all ultimately speaking about Jesus, right? even the salvation that we enjoy today. For Jesus, did it not get worse before it got better? 
You see, that's the model of the great Messiah that we serve. He said, I'm going to save your life, but it's going to get worse for me before it gets better for you. It's going to get worse for me before it gets better for you. And Gethsemane and the cross are perfect examples of how Jesus is the ultimate champion for his people. He demonstrates that though times can get worse before they get better, Jesus ultimately is always the victor. There's a good book called Miracles, What They Are, what, Why They Happen, and How They Can Change Your Life, written by a man named Eric McTaxis. And he gave the example of two, two individuals throughout history. One a man named John Newton, and another man whose name I'm going to butcher, but his name was Alexander Solt... Had sin. <laughs> What's that? Sultan Nathan, okay, Alex, you're going to come up here and finish preaching with me. <laughs> I need you, brother, okay? He says, number one, the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, who was John Newton, who was once a slave ship captain and who became a Christian preacher and an enemy of the slave trade, once said, I have reason to praise God for my trials, for most probably I should have been ruined without them. The author of the Gulag Archipelago, Alexander thank you, <laughs> who suffered for 20 years in the hellish prison camps he described in that book, wrote, bless you prison, bless you for being in my life. For there, lying upon the rotting prison straw, I came to realize that the object of life is not prosperity as we are made to believe, but the maturity of the human soul. This does not mean that Newton would have chosen to go through his trials or that in any way was enjoyed, way, um, way enjoyed the terrible suffering of his imprisonment. But it means that in retrospect, they can see that God used those difficulties to bless them in the long run. And what we need to understand is that if you're going to come into the fullness of Christ and his purposes on your life, Christ's cross comes before Christ's victories in our lives. You hear that? Christ's cross comes before Christ's victories in our lives. He set that as the pattern for himself. He said it's the pattern that all of you are going to follow. Because a servant is not above their master, nor is a student above their teacher. If this is how Christ led, him, led us into ultimate victory, it'll be the pattern that he sets for us to follow as we walk with him into his ultimate purposes in our lives. And we need to always remember that as you pass through, not if, but as you pass through, things at times seeming like they're getting worse before they get better so that Christ can be the ultimate victor, you have to remember that it's worth it because this life is not all that matters. You hear me? This life is not all that matters. But even in the Christian world, we live as if, it, that it, as if it is. And that the only victories we'll ever experience are the ones that we experience in our paycheck, in the letters after our name, how people treat us, where Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Because that's how they treated the false prophets. Woe to you when you get 10,000 plus likes for something that's mildly syncretistic. Woe to you 
when you get everything your heart desires. If you get everything your heart desires, that's not actually necessarily a good thing. Do you understand that? According to the scripture, if you get everything your heart desires, it's not necessarily a good thing. John Calvin said that the heart of man is an idle factory. And many times we're chasing after idols, calling them desires God wants to bless. When God says, put your idols at the feet of the cross, matter of fact, flee from idolatry. And I'll give you the life that is truly life. But you'll recognize that you're coming into this when things get harder, before they get better. So that in your life, Christ, not always you, but Christ might be the ultimate victor. And I'll put a new spin on the scripture that says Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. But not good in always our sight, but good in his sight. We need to redefine what good is and define good in the context of eternity, not just the temporary. You hear me? For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And that's great success. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So when we serve Jesus with faith and without fear, we properly interpret our challenges. We don't run from them thinking that they're a compass, but we recognize them as a barometer turn from our sin to be forgiven at the cross and follow Jesus into his ultimate victory, life abundant and life eternal. Amen? Hoorah. <laughs> so let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this word that you've given us. Father, that you show us not only who you are, but how to live with you, for you, and following you. And God, we pray that you would help us to have our minds renewed, that we'd no longer think of a strange thing, that if we're following you by faith and obedience, there would be challenges in the road, and that at times things might get harder before they get better. And God, I pray that you would provide that eternal perspective of victory in Christ to every man and woman in here, and that would be the thing that they hunger for, that they long for, and that they search for. God, I pray that you would renew our minds, that we might actually truly test and approve what you're good in your sight, pleasing in your sight, and perfect in your sight will is. God, free us from the idolatries that have captured us and really tried to hold us bound in slavery up to this point and God may we give you not just part of our lives but the whole 
that we might walk in the freedom that you've truly called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.